0: So, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1 and go down to verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house well, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall in this, the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So, we read this, and it's it's funny as we read this little tiny portion of Scripture, uh, in our culture today in America, there's a lot of flack in regard to what it takes to be a pastor. And if you were to say to someone, hey, you're called to be a pastor, these are the qualifications, these are the specifics that God has called you to, there's a lot of people who would be very offended by that. To say, I can't be a pastor because I don't fulfill one of these? Yeah, that's the answer. But we need to understand the heart of the man who was writing this. Understand that God filled Paul with the Holy Spirit and gave him these words to write down onto paper so that he could insert it into Scripture. Understand Paul's heart in writing this. This is so important because so often we could go off on this ideology that Paul might have been some legalist, some uh, a rule setter, someone trying to put conditions on how we manage and regulate our lives in the church. But instead what we see out of Paul's life is something completely different. Turn with me to Romans chapter 9. And we're going we're gonna to skip around in Scripture before we get into 1 Timothy this morning. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. And I just want you to see the heart of Paul before we get into what he's writing. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. Amen. Paul's saying, the way that I look at the church, and, and specifically uh, uh, here he's talking about the Jews, Jews that he would like to come into the church, the way that I see these people, I would give up my very salvation for them to be saved. This is the heart of the man who's writing 1 Timothy, who's writing these, these rules for how we are to be uh, 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 living our lives within the church. We looked last week at the roles of men and women. And how hard that was for me to teach because there are certain things that, that's said there that may seem legalistic, that may seem uh, uh, divisive in the church because it causes people to not want any part to do with this. But Paul's saying, from my perspective, I would give my very salvation, if I could, he can't, if it meant salvation for my brethren. This is the heart that Paul's writing from. This is also the heart that he's asking Timothy to have. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 Starting in verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who trusts our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. So think about this. The man who's writing 1 Timothy is saying, Not only did we impart the very word of God to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, but we were we are willing to impart our very lives to you. I'm willing to give my all, my everything for you. This is the heart. This is the standard in which Paul is writing 1 Timothy chapter 3. So when we look at this, when we look at these rules, these regulations set in Scripture by Paul, actually by the Holy Spirit through Paul, we have the understanding that this is all done in, in a, in a manner and in a fashion of love, complete love. That's what's being established here, set up here. So, the office of pastor or bishop is what we're going to be speaking about today. That word bishop is synony- synonymous with pastor. And we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, there are four different offices. You could turn with me there. Four different offices in the church. Ephesians 4, verse 11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And the Granville Sharp's rule ties pastors and teachers together. So it's one office. So we have four offices there, okay? And this is the office of pastor that we're speaking of when he is speaking of the bishop. The word bishop is simply the word overseer. You may have heard the word superintendent today. Uh, On a construction site, the superintendent is the the man over the foreman. He's the one that's actually the man in control, uh, the big boss man, so to say, this is the, the position that's being spoken about here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. And uh, we see this position described even further in Titus chapter 1, verse 7, if you want to turn with me. And after this, I promise you will slow down on the flipping of pages. Titus chapter 1, verse 7 says, for a bishop must be blameless. We're going to get into that. As a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-control, holding fast to the faithful word as he has been taught that he might be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So a pastor is supposed to have this heart of selflessness and is supposed to be taught and built up in a way that he can exhort, correct, teach, convict. That's what we're talking about here. Now this is something that, was, that has been near and dear to me really almost as, as long as I've been a Christian. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But it's funny, when I got saved, I had a premonition of me standing at a pulpit, which was really weird because I was going from being a drug addict. And I was just thankful that God would forgive my sins. And the vision that God gave me was me standing at a pulpit. And I was like, yeah, right. Why would anyone ever want to listen to me? And I still ask the same question. Why would anyone want to listen to me? But the truth of the matter is, God has chosen men for this specific position. Not based upon their talents, their abilities, their qualities even. He's looking for men who are willing to surrender all to see the salvation of many. Because gift sets are something that he can impart by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's something that He can do, not by our own power, not by our own strength, but by His power, He could bring salvation to many. He's actually looking for an open vessel that doesn't have a whole lot to offer. We saw that with Paul when we read 1 Timothy chapter 2. He was talking about himself not really being qualified. The fact is he was kind of confused as to why God would choose him except for he did everything he did in ignorance. And the Lord took something that was so broken, something that in society was so unusable, and turned it into this amazing man of God. This is the heart that God is looking for for a pastor. So, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, this is a faithful saying. He starts out by saying, this is a trustworthy thing that I'm about to tell you. This is something that you could rely on. This is something that you could take to heart. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop, the first thing he mentions is the desire for a position in the church. And today in the church, this is actually something that is pushed away. I've actually been told for a long time in Christianity that I shouldn't desire the position of head pastor. I've been told that. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that if a man has this desire, if you keep reading verse 1, it says he desires a good work. It's not a bad thing to desire to be in church leadership in any standpoint, in any position. That's a good thing. Those desires are put upon your heart by God if they're for the right reason, if they're for that very heart that Paul had. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires, and the word desire there is to stretch oneself to literally to, to take your body and stretch full length. The idea is that you're trying. It is a good thing for a man to try to get in the position of bishop. But then it says, that at the end there of, of verse 1, it says he desires a good work. The word desire there is a completely different word. It means to set one's heart upon him. So if you're desiring, if you're stretching out for a place of leadership in the church, the first thing that we need to be doing is setting your heart upon that position. This is speaking of the reason behind why we want to serve in the church. Serving in the church is something that we're all called to do, by the way. We're all given gifts by God to serve one another, to build one another up, to to bring people closer and closer to the Lord. It's something that we're all called to do. But what's the reason why we want to do this? Is it for prestige? Is it for a position to to lord authority over? Is it for monetary gains? What what is the reason why we desire to have a position in the church? Paul simply saying, you need to set your heart upon the correct thing, which is the service to the Lord and serving one another, taking care of the church, having that heart of Paul where he says, I gave my very self to you. My desire for you is is one in which if I had the capability, I would literally give my own salvation if it meant your salvation. That's intense. That's a level of selflessness that we don't see in our culture very often. But it's something we're called to as believers. To just as Christ, Christ's mind was set on the salvation of us, we should have the same mind. Willing to sacrifice self for each other. Here, specifically in this position of pastor, this needs to be the man at the forefront of that. That his life exhibits selflessness in a way that it's it's well known. It's recognized. It's seen. He's willing to give everything for it. But he set his heart upon a good work. And this is something that I think our culture has lost as well they think that entering into a position in the church such as pastor or head pastor going into a position of full-time pastorship is simply getting out of work and that's not what scripture says it says that if you've entered into this position you've desired a good toil toil that's a that's a pretty intense thing to think about when you're talking about a culture that was based in farming. Toiling. Pulling up your dress thing. Putting your belt tight. Getting on your knees. And working hard. Digging holes. Pouring water. Pulling weeds. Toil. When we think of leadership in the church, do we think of toiling? We should. Men of God who are called to this position should be toiling at the Word of God first, especially in the bishop position. We see that in Acts chapter 7. That that pastors should be focusing on the Word of God. But they should also be toiling for the church in a very uh, uh, common way. Tending to the needs of the sheep. Because we're simply under-shepherds to Jesus Christ. Washing the feet of the saints. So if a man desires the position of pastor, he desires a good toil. Verse 2, A bishop then must be blameless. Oh man, everyone's disqualified. That's it. No one's really qualified for that. Only Jesus could fill it. The idea here... Behind the word blameless, it's it's actually a metaphor word which is taken from an expert boxer who defends his whole body. So if you have ever watched boxing, which some of you probably have, some of you haven't, uh, there are men like uh, Floyd Mayweather who doesn't really box. He just sits back on the ropes and blocks everyone's punches. And then once they tire out, then he throws some blows himself and he wins every time. That's simply what God's asking from us as pastors. And I would say all leadership in the church. He's asking us to defend every portion of the body. And if you have the heart that Paul did, that I suspect Timothy did for the church, this isn't a problem. This is very simple. No one has to tell me that in order for me to be a father... I need to protect the well-being of my children physically, mentally, and spiritually. No one needs to tell me that because I adore my children. And what I want for my children is that they're physically fit, that they're in a place where they're not going to die or have their arms amputated or anything like that. I want them to be mentally fit. I want them to be educated in a way that they'll be able to get through life and and get good jobs when they get older and, and do well. And I want them to be, most of all, spiritually fit. I want them to be set and ready for this life. I want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want them to be able to deal with the pangs of life. And, not only the pangs, but the the, uh, uh, wealth of life as well. If they hit a point where they're in extraordinary wealth or, or being praised extraordinarily, I want them to be able to deal with that correctly. No one has to tell me that as a father because of my love for them. This is the same thing that Paul's saying about a pastor in a church. You should be living in a way that is blameless because of your love for the church. You should be living in a way that no one could attach blame to you. This word does not imply that they never do anything wrong, so no one could ever say anything bad about them. The word here is to imprison. No one has any claim about your life that could catch you up. That is a qualifying factor for the position of pastor. If you look in verse 2, it says a bishop then must. It's not small. That's big. Must. These are things that are determinate. These are things that God requires for the pastorate. that a man cannot be blamed as in accusations against him cannot stick to him they must be blameless it continues by saying the husband of one wife so this very verse here the husband implies something it implies that it's a man if you jump back to verse one it says if a man desires the position. It also says, back in chapter 2, verse 12, if you turn just a little bit back, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in full submission. The pastor, the bishop, needs to be a man, not a woman. That is very controversial in our society today. Churches are turning from this and flocking away from this in droves. But the truth is, God's word makes it very clear. Why? Why? We'll read verse 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. It's because there's an order that was created by God. God created men and put them in a leadership position. It's not because of our capabilities, it's not because we're better, smarter, none of that. Every time I teach on something like this, I always point to the fact that my wife makes way better decisions than I do 99% of the time in her driving, in, in everything. But for some reason, God put a, a goofy leader over my wife, and she has to deal with the scruples of that. <laughs> Must be a man. But it continues by saying the husband of one wife. And there are three views when it comes to this. The first one is that he needs to be married. That you cannot be a pastor unless you're married. And this view, many people hold to. And I could see why. I mean, if you look at the, the application of this, man was made, woman was taken from him, and so man wasn't whole without woman, and then what they believe is that the the entirety of humanity needs to be brought back together and, and uh, so that they could be a good leader. I could see that. I'd need my wife for leadership. But I don't think that that's what's being spoken about here because we don't even know if Paul the Apostle was married when he wrote this. He, very, he, he probably was married before this because he was part of the Sanhedrin. But he probably was not married when he wrote this. Jesus Christ was never married. There's been many leaders in the past that have not been married. I know pastors today that are not married. Um, So what does this mean? Well, the next idea is that he can only be married once. And I I like that idea. Um, I don't think that's what's being spoken about here. But he can only be married one time. Scripture gives us very clear uh, reasons for divorce. If a spouse is unfaithful, if they abandon you, they're an unbeliever and they leave you, God gives us permission to remarry, to not deal with that. That's, that's acceptable. Or if a man were, were to be divorced before he was a Christian, get saved, and now he's being called into the ministry, well, he's a new creation in Christ. Now, I personally have dealt with a man who uh, who I thought he had never been married, and we were in leadership positions together, and he did something sexually to a very young girl. Uh, not, I shouldn't say it that way. She, she was 21 years old. He was 50-ish. And uh, once I found that out, we looked into the guy and his background, and oh, he's been married four times. It was a very, uh, in my heart, in my mind, it made it very clear. Oh, you're not called to ministry. And the reason why is here in First Timothy. Chapter 2, when it says a husband of one wife, it's actually better translated a one woman man. That's the idea behind this. It means a one woman man. This man should be devoted to his bride. You see, marriage is not something that we just get to experience in this life because it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong, it is that. It is the last thing that we have left from perfection, from the Garden of Eden. It is the last thing. But we also understand from Scripture, from 1 Corinthians, and as well as a few other places, Ephesians, we see that marriage is supposed to be a representation of Christ's relationship with the church. That, that Christ said He would never leave us nor forsake us. That He literally goes through all of our pains and struggles, our sins. When we turn our back on Him, He follows us. Marriage is supposed to be this beautiful thing that represents Jesus' love for his bride. So, what Paul's saying is hey, your love relationship between your bride and you should be a representation of Christ in the church to the church. The bishop should be husband of one wife, a one woman man. He should be temperate. The word there is vigilant. He, he should be very serious about the things going on in the church, very serious about the Word of God. Vigilant. Sober-minded. Sober-minded. And this right here, it actually uh, it, it tends to uh, a sobriety of uh, away from alcohol or intoxicants, but specifically it's speaking here of having a mind that uh, that is serious, that is sticking to the calling of God on your life. We're going to talk about not giving to wine here in a second, but having a mind that's not intoxicated with all the different things that can intoxicate you, whether it be anger, bitterness, lust, the love of money. You're to have a mind that's sober of these things. To be able to look at situations correctly and make correct decisions. To be able to look at your own life and go into the lives of others with a humility understanding you're no better than them. That you deal with the same struggles, the same pains that they do. I don't know about you, but when I hear these things, it it really... It gets me excited about leadership. It gets me excited about my pastor. Sober-minded. Of good behavior. And this is simply just the outpouring of temperance. Your behavior should be something that represents Christ to the world. It's the word cosmios. We looked at it last week. It means to be set in order. It's from... Uh, chapter 2 verse 9 where it talks about women dressing modestly your behavior should be set in order not out of line not crazy you shouldn't be drop kicking people from the stage for jesus i mean these are things that are inappropriate modest is the idea of good behavior, hospitable, hospitable. And the word here is actually, it's even further, it's a word that means a lover of hospitality. A lover of inviting people in and tending to their needs, feeding them, giving them drink, having them sit down. A lover of service. Now we could look at this and go, well, you know, what is my pastor Does my pastor feel this? And, I, and we should, we should do that. We should compare our pastors to this. But my question is, do we look at this and say, "Does my life look like this? Does my life look like it's hospitable? Does it look modest? Does it look blameless? I think these are things that we need to kind of apply to our own selves because we're all called to a position of leadership, whether it being a mother, a, a father, a, you know, a deacon, a pastor, whatever it may be. Do we look at ourselves and say, this is something that I should apply to my own life? And if not, don't burden yourself down saying, how am I going to accomplish this on my own power? Ask the Lord for help. The Holy Spirit is the one that does this in people's lives. Hospitable, able to teach, able to teach. And I've actually heard pastors teach about how this doesn't mean that they have the capability of teaching, just that they're, they're able to. They can get on stage and, and speak. That's not what this word means. The word able to teach, it means apt and skillful in teaching. This is a gift set. We have to remember that that this is something that the Lord literally gives to men. So so to imply that a man does not have have to have the capability of teaching to be a pastor, that's implying that he doesn't really need the gift of teaching. That's a strange thing in my mind. I don't understand that. Well, I don't have the gift of teaching. Well, then you're not called to be a pastor, but that's okay. Okay. The reason why we do that in our minds where we, we say, well, well, then I can't be a pastor and that's not fair. Well, that's, the reason why we do that is because we hold the position of pastor higher than any other position in the church and that's just unwarranted. That's untrue. The position of pastor is equal with the, the position of deacon. It's, it's equal with the position of worship leader or Sunday school worker or toilet cleaner in the church. They're all the same in the eyes of God. It's not like pastors show up at the gates of heaven and he throws a party for only that position. We show up at the gates of heaven. It doesn't matter what we've done in the church. We could have been the most faithful prayer warrior on earth. We could have been the most faithful toilet scrubber on earth. And we get the same party. God doesn't look at it that way. What we've done to the church is we've commercialized it because when you talk about jobs positions in a job you look at bosses directors you know the the man that comes with the final say oh he's the boss he holds higher value he gets paid more i got to tell you as a pastor i am paid no less than any of you and no more than any of you we are called to see it all in equality it's simply a gift set and we allow the gift set to lead us, to direct us. It continues. Not given to wine. And that means exactly what it says. No alcohol. There is a movement in the church where beer bowl studies, cigar studies, pastors going out to different restaurants and having a beer is totally acceptable. That's the movement in the church today. In fact, uh, I was listening to a pastor just recently talk about how he was the one on the outside of this group of pastors because he didn't drink. They thought it was weird. The truth is, is, a pastor needs to have a sober mind. And I don't know about you guys, I come from a background of addiction. I come from a place where alcohol and marijuana and drug use was the common place. So to have someone who's a spiritual leader in my life, someone who's supposed to be representing Jesus Christ Himself to me, is sitting there drinking something that had full control over me at one time, it makes me a little uncomfortable. It is not bearing with one another. It is not bearing with the needs of others. And I could tell you in our culture specifically, that is a big issue. Addiction is huge. Pastors should be freed of all these things. There shouldn't be anything taking over the mind of the pastor. He should be not given to wine. Not violent. Here's a good one. This is something that I dealt with personally while I was in Bible college. And I grew up in a household where fighting was acceptable. It was something that was good. I grew up being taught how to box, how to wrestle, how to do mixed martial arts. I did years of mixed martial arts training. I watched UFC from UFC 1 all the way through. And while I was in Bible college, the Lord convicted my heart. And I don't want to lay a burden on you guys, but personally what the Lord spoke to me was, Do you really think I enjoy watching my son get his face punched in? Uh, uh, Probably not, Lord. And then he said, How would you feel about watching your son get his face punched in? I didn't have kids then. But I could tell you I wouldn't feel very happy about watching my kid get beat up. That was a hard thing for me to deal with because I grew up in this. That was... Literally, we would take all of the furniture out of my living room. It would have boxing matches right in the middle of the living room. I grew up with a single father. We would pull out all of the beds in the whole house and we would lay them on the floor and we would wrestle all of the boys that I hung out with. That was a hard thing for me to deal with. Because where do I go from here? I enjoy this. The Lord said, James... I've called you to not be violent in your thinking. Not be violent in your ways. Not violent. Not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. And here we get the idea of filthy gain. Filthy lucre is how the King James puts it. It's, it's money through cheating. It's easy money. Someone that's not looking for easy money. We shouldn't have a bunch of pastors running away, running around trying to find the easiest way to get rich quick. Because the truth is, we need to be focusing our minds on the things of God, on the Church of God, on the health, the spiritual health of the church. Not given over to the greed of money. but gentle. gentle, mild, patient, equitable. This is what we're called to. Turn with me to Philippians chapter four. A couple pages to the left. Philippians chapter four, verse four. Philippians four four says Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. This is a command to the whole church. And even more, the leadership of the church. Let your gentleness be seen by everyone. This is also something that was a struggle for me. I grew up in a household that was not gentle. I grew up by by being raised by a father, alone, no mother. And having a father alone, there was no compassion. I did something wrong, here's the answer. I did something right, here's the answer. It was very logical in everything that I did. I was also very physical. I played a lot of football, wrestling, like I said, didn't mix martial arts and all that good stuff. And because of that, there was not a whole lot of gentleness to me. It was very rough can ask my wife when we met i was very logical not very soft all of my answers were very to the point without emotions being you know thought of a pastor is called to be gentle with people to be caring about what this is going to do when i say this what this is going to do when I react this way. I think of my children. And I know I talk about my kids a lot, but that's just where I am in life. But I think about my kids. My daughter, Elizabeth. She's this ball of energy. Beautiful ball of energy. And she does things that are kind of crazy sometimes. You've all experienced it, most of you. And my daughter... When I react, and my voice gets high, she turns into this ball of mesh and melts. She's scared. She doesn't do it for my wife. She does it for me. But it literally shuts her mind off. She can no longer receive information. She's so afraid just of my voice because I'm not being gentle. Now, when I take that little girl... And it's hard to believe. And I, t- I take that little girl and I take her by her shoulders and I sit her on my lap and I hug her and I cuddle her and I say, "Honey, you just can't do that. That's inappropriate." She she's smiling, she's hearing, she's receiving information. She's willing to hear from me. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times when I have to spank her. I'll say it on record. Not afraid. But for the most part, that little girl, when I'm gentle with her, that's when she takes correction the best. There needs to be a gentleness to a pastor. He's got to care about the church in a way that he's willing to do that. Continues, not covetous. And the idea here is not a lover of money. So this isn't just about filthy lucre here. This needs to be his heart. He needs to not love money. Because what comes with being a pastor is the loss of all of your time. Which means the loss of any capability of making extra money. You should not have a desire to be rich if you're going to be a pastor. That doesn't mean there aren't rich pastors. And there aren't, and that doesn't mean that there aren't rich pastors that are good pastors. That's just not the rule. Very often what we find with rich pastors is compromise and sin. Not always, but very often. This man needs to not covet what others have. And the reality is, is if you look at the heart of Paul, what we established this whole chapter on, if his love is for God and the things of God and the people of God, he's not going to covet things. Because he has everything he needs right in Christ Jesus. This is more like a litmus test. And this is something that we could ask ourselves. Am I a coveter? Do I I want what everyone else has? Am I a lover of money or a lover of possessions? Because truth be told, if that's the truth in our hearts, in our minds, we do not have the fulfillment of Christ in our lives. It's not a bad thing to have desires. It's not a bad thing to to want to succeed in life. That's not what we're talking about. But to constantly have a heart that covets what everyone else has or the new best thing, I can tell you that this is, again, a struggle for me. I have this super nice phone, right? Galaxy 8. But it's like two versions late. And the Galaxy 10 just came out, and it's so pretty, and it does so many cool little things. And I see the commercial, and there's a little part of me that says, James, you, you need that. The truth is, is I don't need it. My phone works perfectly fine. If that were to break, then yeah, I would need a new phone. It wouldn't be wrong for me to get that phone. But my phone's not going to break because I'm going to do everything in my power to, to protect it, to, to keep it safe because I need to be a good steward. This is the thing. What is our heart behind these things? (sighs) He needs to be one that does not covet possessions, money, things. Now he moves on to his personal life. In verse 4, he says, One who rules his own house well. And this, again, is something very difficult, taboo even, because there are pastors I've seen who don't rule their house well. And then there are pastors who rule their house well whose kids are crazy. And there's a line. Well, where do we draw the line? Your kids are psychotic. You're not called to be a pastor. Mm, I don't think that's what it's being said. Notice the emphasis is on the man, not on the children. It says, one who rules his own house, household well. That means when the things come up in life, when the kids act crazy, when when things get insane in your household, how are you dealing with it? Are you losing it? Are you losing your cool all the time? Are you blowing up? Are you being physical? I mean... These are the things that the Lord's talking about. It's not that the kids won't act crazy. It's about how he acts when the kids get crazy. One who rules his own house well. Continues in verse 5. I'm sorry. Let's not skip ahead. It says, having his children in submission with all reverence. Well, how do we do that? My kids are great. I have four kids, four little kids. That is insane to have them in reverence all the time. No, I'm able to pull my children back. That little ball of energy I'm talking about, Elizabeth. I get my hands on her. I reel her back. I know how to rule the situation correctly so that I bring her back to the reverence of her parents and gentleness caring for her there is an idea in christianity that we need to just be spanking all of the bad out of our kids sometimes that's what it takes but to rule your household well sometimes it just means knowing what works for each kid for instance salem most of you know salem my oldest when i say you're bad he melts He hears the correction when i say don't do that he turns bright red and starts crying i know i've messed up (laughs) i don't need to spank him sometimes i do but most of the time i don't need to spank him some of my other children they need the physical touch of a father or mother in order to understand what's right and wrong simply ruling your household well so you could bring your children into submission in all reverence. Verse 5. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That means he cares. This is something that's on his mind. I am purposefully taking care of my household, just like I am purposefully taking care of the household of God. I have purposed in my heart to do whatever it takes, to bring people into submission and reverence of God. Whether it be my children, my wife, or anyone in the church. I will give up anything I have for it. Because I love them. Just like Paul said, I would give my own salvation if it meant salvation for my brethren. He continues, verse 6, not a novice. And the word there, novice, means newly planted. And this is something that has made me question a lot of things in my life, leadership-wise. You see, when I became a Christian, I had that vision. And six months later, I was the youth pastor of a church. And I saw this while teaching once, and I thought, holy moly, I shouldn't be doing this. And even went to my pastor at the time and said, hey, I, I... I really shouldn't be teaching the Bible right now. He said, you need to be in submission to your leadership. And when we tell you you're out of line, you're going to get back in line. (laughs) They mentored me through some of the, the hardships that come with being in leadership early in salvation. And this is the thing that I always tell young men, young women who desire places of leadership, slow down. Not only can you fall into this condemnation that it speaks about, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil. Pride. Not only can you fall into that, there's a whole lot of hardship that you go through jumping straight into ministry after salvation that most people don't go through, that they don't see. There are things that you deal with that you might not be ready for. Things thrown on your shoulders that You're not ready to bear. Here, the biggest problem is pride. Because they start receiving the glory unto themselves instead of giving that glory to God. Instead of taking the praise of men and women, if they're, you know, decent teachers, very often that's what happens taking that praise and pointing it back to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit inside of him, understanding that he is just a tool being used, they take it upon themselves and they become prideful, arrogant. And what comes from that is they they become puffed up with pride. And the word there for puffed up with pride is enveloped with smoke. (laughs) They're blinded by pride. I don't know if you guys have ever seen smoke fill a room, but it literally overtakes everything inside of you. Your lungs fill with smoke. You can't breathe. So your mind becomes, I can't breathe. And then the smoke becomes so much that you can't see. So now you're blind and you can't breathe and your whole mind is set upon the fact that you're not able to function and live. This is what it's speaking about when it says a novice will be filled with pride. Everything in ministry and in life will become about him, his needs, his wants. Very dangerous because it's the exact opposite of what the Lord has called pastors to do. To care about the needs, the wants, the desires of everyone else in the church and not our own. Not newly planted, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation of the devil. We all know what the condemnation of the devil is. Cast out of the presence of God for eternity. Hasn't happened yet, it will happen. Verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good testimony. Moreover, on top of all of that, his testimony must be good. It has to be for who it says his testimony must be good among those who are outside. The idea is outsiders from the church, non-believers. what he says up here should be what he lives out there. It says lest he fallen into reproach, the word there is suffering. What is the suffering? The suffering is being removed from his position. If you have this desire to to be here and serve the church and take care of the needs of the church, and now that's being removed from you, it's a suffering. Continues by saying, and the snare of the devil. Being caught up by the tricks of our enemy. Removed in mind and physically from the very church that you're trying to serve. Our testimony should be something that we're very serious about. Why? Because it's that very testimony that Paul was speaking about, his love for the Jews, that he was willing to give it all for them. Our testimony should be one in which people can look at and say, I desire what they have. I don't have joy. I want that joy. I don't have peace. I want that peace. Where do I get it? Who do I have to go to? Where can I find it? Our lives should be a testament of God's love for us. So there you go. Qualifications for a bishop, a pastor. Let's pray. And I encourage you guys to hang out, fellowship, spend as much time as you'd like, hanging out with one another, we pray. Uh, Father God, we just love you so much. We ask for you to continue this message in our hearts. Allow us to apply these things to our own lives as we also examine our, the people who we have in leadership over us. Father, we, we ask that you bless us by having the heart that Paul had. This very heart that Paul was telling Timothy that he needed to have a heart of service a heart of love father I do ask that you guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit this week you watch over us father allow us to rely fully upon you and you alone father we also ask that you touch will heal him completely take away the swelling take away the sores father allow him to just feel your love Bless our church, bless our fellowship, and guide us as a body, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.